Welcome to Distributing Solar. We speak with entrepreneurs and experts working in the off-grid solar industry around the world, bringing to life how distributed solar is changing lives in emerging markets. Today, we're speaking with Waringa Matindi, CEO of Village Energy. Village Energy is a Ugandan solar startup providing custom solar installations for rural businesses, institutions, and agriculture that enables improved incomes, job creation, and access to services. We speak about Waringa's experience as a new CEO, how gender equality interacts with energy access, the cultural differences between Kenya and Uganda, and we even talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency. We hope you enjoy this episode. Waringa, thank you for joining us on Distributing Solar. Hi, Jin. Thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation. It's a pleasure to be here. You're currently CEO of Village Energy in Uganda, but have previously worked in the nonprofit sector in women's health and gender equality, and you're also an Acumen Fellow. Can you tell us more about your background and how did you get into the solar sector? Yes, as you mentioned, I worked in the development sector for 13 years before coming over to Village Energy. And I, I did enjoy the work, as you said, working on women's and girls' empowerment, menstrual hygiene management, and gender equality. Those were really causes that were very close to my heart. One of the overarching things that I noticed in our work was how much poverty was such a cause and effect of majority of the inequality that we were dealing with. And at the back of my mind, I always wanted to, and I had an interest in working in something that brought money into people's pockets. And first, I was in Nairobi for 10 years. I, for lack of a better word, I needed a change of environment and also the sector. The human rights sector does take a toll on you. So I, I moved to Uganda towards the end of 2015, still working in development. And after three years, I, when I was really actively looking for something else and something that addressed poverty. And when the opportunity came to work with Village Energy, which I am thankful to my Acumen Fellowship for. So Abu, one of the co-founders of Village Energy, is a 2012 fellow. I'm a 2014 fellow. And Jay, the other co-founder for Village Energy, is a 2017 fellow. So we knew of each other in the Acumen Network, and especially when I moved to Uganda. But we had never really quite had a conversation. Until this one time, Abu invited me for a coffee in Kampala. And he told me the vision for Village Energy, what they had done and what they were hoping to do. And he offered me the opportunity to get involved. And of course, after a lot of thinking, <laughs> I took the offer. And the, one of the things that really struck me, I remember from Abu's pitch about Village Energy, is that all the customers that they were dealing with, who they had installed the customized systems for, 100% of them reported increased revenue. So I was like, yes, that does resonate strongly with me. And yeah, here I am one year, seven months later. That sounds great. And that's a good time to, to talk more about Village Energy. And if you could tell our listeners, what does Village Energy do? What part of the sector are they focused on? And who are their primary customers? Yeah, Village Energy is a solar customer 
company that has been in Uganda since 2008 and in those 10 years been focused on different aspects or rather different customer segments in the solar industry at some points they were working on mini grids at some points they were working on solar home systems and then in 2018 they pivoted to focusing on customized solar installations for productive use and this was because they had noticed that there was a gap There are about 200 solar companies in Uganda. Majority of them focus on their home systems and then of what is left the majority focus on the mini grids. So there's a missing middle of the businesses or the schools or the institution that want to have their institutions or businesses solar powered and that's the market that Village Energy currently serves. Our smallest system is 120 watts. and currently we are working on a system that's 172 kilowatt quite a wide range but majority of our systems roughly are between 600 to 1.5 kilowatt that's the range that we usually focus on and we work with mostly businesses and schools in Uganda are our largest portfolio and schools in Uganda most private schools are run as businesses then we also have the SMEs the small and medium enterprises we also have the health centers but those three are our main customer segments great and it sounds like you're primarily customizing solar installations for them is that right can you tell us about that process and what is involved when you start working with a customer and how you start engaging with them Yes that's one of the things that we really do we offer solutions that are tailor made for the client and what this usually means that one of our technicians will go for a site survey so that then they can be able to determine the exact energy needs of the customer when we have the site survey the site survey generates a system design and from that system design that's when now we have the quotation and then now from the quotation once the customer agrees and is ready to buy the the system then that's when we have the um, installation done and for all our systems we offer 2 years warranty this is both for emergency visits and also scheduled preventative visits that's for 2 years we also have remote monitoring for all our system This helps both us and the client keep track of the health of the system and how it is working. And for your customers are they typically already connected to the grid but they're looking for a more reliable source of energy or is it they're looking to transition to renewables for instance or are you replacing diesel power generators? Is there typically a trend amongst your customers for what kind of power you're displacing? Yeah, so Uganda's electrification rate is one of the lowest in East Africa. in the urban areas it's about 23% and in the rural areas it's about 7% so it's really quite low so for most of our customers they are mostly off grid and in that segment we are usually replacing generators because that's usually the energy source that they are using we also of course have challenges with reliability of the grid also in Uganda so there's many blackouts so we also have some percentage of our customers also looking for reliable power so that they know their businesses whatever happens they they're going to be able to provide whatever services regardless of whether there is power from umeme or not so those are these are the two main needs 
And and you mentioned you have remote monitoring installed on your systems. Can you tell us more about whether that system is just for monitoring the health of the devices to to make sure that the systems are working accurately, or do you also have financing that's that's built into the monitoring system capabilities as well? Are you participating in Pago financing, or do people just have pretty straightforward contracts with Village Energy? Okay, so the one main reason why we have uh, the remote monitoring, remember I said all our systems, we have two-year warranty. And so that means that in case there's a problem with the system, and this has to do with the quality of the components or with poor workmanship, then Village Energy is liable and we have to replace the components. So we need to make sure that the system is being used for what we designed it for. I think you've probably come across this. There's usually a challenge with many solar customers. Once they see a system is performing, then there's a temptation to add more and more devices and therefore overloading the system. And then that overloading, of course, compromises on the quality of the components, especially the batteries. So that's the one thing that we want to do. We want to make sure that the system is working as it should be, and it is also powering what it has been designed to power. The second thing, yes, we do provide customer financing. And then now the added advantage, as you said, Pego, for some of our clients. And so the device, the remote monitoring also comes with a kill switch. So we have monthly installments for our customers, which are spread over a maximum of 12 months. And in case the customer defaults or is late or is not able to pay, then we are able to switch off the system. So it's, it does serve those two purposes. And is the Pago system using mobile money? Is mobile money available? Yes, mobile money is available in Uganda and it is very popular. The reason why our Pago system is not necessarily linked to mobile money payments is because the installments for our systems are quite high. We have customers who have, you know, monthly installments of 200 to about, you know, even $600. And when you're transacting those amounts on mobile money, then it becomes expensive. It becomes expensive for the client to send Village Energy the money. It also becomes expensive for Village Energy to withdraw the money. So what we do, because we have the rural branches, our customers go and make the payment in the rural branches. They also have our account numbers. They can also make the deposits into our accounts directly. And then all they have to do is just send us proof of payment. And then the system will still keep running. And then the other, the other good thing about the, the remote monitoring system is that it's also able to send the customer alerts for when the payment is due, you know, like five min, five days before two days before, a day before, so that the customer is not caught unawares in case they have forgotten. And I'd love to discuss a bit about the hub and spoke model that you mentioned and how you have different locations around Uganda. Can you tell us more about how the business is organized in some way? I think what's quite interesting about Village Energy is that you do have lots of smaller offices around Uganda. Tell us about how that works and how does it work with you managing it from one central location? In around 2015, 2016, Village Energy conducted that time when we were working on the home, in the home systems segment. They conducted some research on the uptake of solar systems across Uganda. And one of the findings that kept coming up was that majority of the would-be or potential clients had issues with trust. They did not trust 
the solar companies. And on digging deeper, they found out because what would usually happen is, you know, a company that is based in Kampala, let's even say Village Energy, they would have a marketing drive in some rural area and then they would sell hundreds of systems. And then after the, the marketing drive is over, they all come back to Kampala. And now because they don't have a place where the customers can go to for repairs or even for inquiries, that contributed to very low trust because the customers would say, we don't know where to find you. Yes, the product that you're selling is good and we know that we need it, but where can we come and find you? And of course, when they're doing the research and talking to other solar companies, they realize that that was something that kept coming up. And from that research is when Village Energy decided that in order to build trust, there was a need to have offices or branches in at least some of the regions where we are working. First, we had about seven branches. That became quite a bit difficult to manage because it, it does take a lot of coordination. It does take a lot of effort from the HQ staff to be able to manage all those branches and all those numbers of stuff. So now we are down to three branches and with Kampala being the fourth. And how it usually works is that it's only the managers who sit in Kampala, but each office has its own manager. They have their own technician and then they have the sales team. So the sales activities, the installations are easily managed from the branch. Many times they will need help and support from HQ. So about once a month, we have a member of the team from HQ visiting at least one branch per month. So in many ways, the branch is independent and can function, but it also does need a lot of support from HQ. So some, some of the activities that are centralized, procurement is centralized from the HQ. Finance is also centralized at HQ and also HR. But tech and sales, the branch is able to conduct those activities on their own. And can you tell us a bit about your team and how many people are in, say, each of the branches and how many people are in HQ at the moment? Currently, we are, we are, we are 20. And in HQ, we're only, only nine of us sitting in Kampala. So each branch has roughly four team members. As I said, the district manager, who's the supervisor, we have the district technician and then two sales team members. Right. And how was the, the process of becoming the new CEO for the company? You said you, you joined just over a year ago now. How was that process of joining as a new CEO? And what did you find most exciting and energizing about it? And what did you find most, most difficult about it? Uh, <laughs> I usually joke to my friends that I think if, if, I knew, if I possibly knew what I was coming into, I'm not sure I would I would have you know made the change. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this is because as I said I had been working in development for you know for a long time. So I I was used to thinking in a particular way. And you know and this way was you raise the money, you get the money, you use all of it and then you know then you ask for more, right? Like that's 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 the development model. But then now coming to a business where it's like you know it's the direct opposite where you make the money and you make sure you don't use all of it and then you use the money that you've made to make more money. So that mental shift was quite challenging for me and it took it took quite a bit of time for me to start thinking like a business, you know, a business person. 
So that I think has was my most challenging thing that I faced, changing my own thinking. And I hadn't realized how deeply the development thinking was ingrained. For example, when I came, uh, Village Energy was turning 10 years in 2019. And, you know, when you're in development, it's perfectly acceptable to have, you know, like celebration parties and write all these nice publications and, you know, to celebrate the 10 years, which is quite a milestone for a company. And so one of the things that I thought that we were going to do was that, well, exactly that, you know, plan for 10-year celebration and get all these people to come. And then, you know, we go on the media and shout that we're 10 years old. But I hadn't really quite thought that this money that you're going to use, you're going to be needing it, you know, three months from now or right. you know, two months from now because you need rent, you know. It did take a little bit of time for me to change my mindsets. I think now I sometimes feel like probably I have now gone overboard, you know, with the business. I have to remind myself, you know, tone it down a bit. You can still have profit, but you can also relax a little bit. Yeah, so that was the most, that was definitely the most challenging thing. The most exciting thing, again, and uh, this is something that still brings me a lot of joy, is the impact that we are having. It gives me, it always gives me so much joy to see how such an intervention, which to us, okay, to me and to many people, we take it for granted, you know, light and electricity, but just see how much change it is able to bring in communities. Because like now what even usually happens, as I said, mostly we work in rural off-grid areas. So what usually happens is that the school or the business or the health center that we power, you know, becomes a focal point in a community. Uh, for example, early this year, in February, we had a follow-up survey for some project we did in 2017, 2018 with refrigeration. We installed fridges in about 36 shops across Uganda. And in the follow-up survey, it is so good to see, you know, when the clients are saying how their lives have been changed, you know, because now they're able to expand their businesses. They're able to offer cold drinks. They're able to, you know, to have other cold products, you know, like meat or sausages or, and the effect that that income and because the, the additional income is not much. It's about, you know, between seven to $15 a day. But the difference that makes in the lives of those clients and their families, that is what makes me still smile about that and, and be happy that I'm still here. And you've mentioned already that part of the reason you were interested and excited to join the solar sector was because of the impact that it could have on people's incomes and livelihoods and really improving yeah. the lives of many people. Can you tell us more about how you've seen the impact of development, but then also most all the projects that you run and all the, the work that you do on a purely for-profit model? Are people paying for it entirely or are there some elements of development with, with your customers? Our model right now is fully for profit. We don't have any 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 projects that are that are not being funded by the client. But what we also sometimes see is that the clients themselves sometimes they are able to identify funders and sponsors who are then able to pay for the system. So that's that's also fairly common. The impact that we are also able to see right now, uh, we have a new product that is, and this is now even beyond. The income, as I said, 100% of our clients, the businesses and the institutions, 
they all report increased revenue. If it is a school, they will definitely now be able to enroll more students because uh, they they can offer computer classes, for example, or their students, you know, now instead of using lamps and torches for lighting, now the, the students can be able, you know, to, to have night classes. So the school becomes attractive both for the students and the new parents. If it is the health centers, we have about 20 health centers in our portfolio. So then now they're able to offer additional services and especially refrigeration because one of the things that is a challenge, especially like in this in these COVID times that has really come under scrutiny for the health centers, is how they are not able to offer adequate storage for the vaccines. So then the health centers, they are able to now store their vaccines for longer. And this, of course, has a lot of impact or especially child mortality. As we know, there's quite a high percentage of maternal and infant mortality in this country. So we, we are glad to be doing just a little bit, you know, contributing to that development that the vaccines are also are now available, that now lab services, our clinic can now be able to expand their lab services because they can be able to power their microscopes, for example. So there's many, many benefits that we are seeing. The other thing that we're also seeing, especially now with the solar street lighting, is, is security. We just finished a project with Kampala City Council Authority for street lights in one of the informal settlements around Kampala. And that was some of the feedback that we are receiving. We're like, okay, now it's safer to walk at night because now they can see. It's easy to identify, to see if there is somebody who's laying in wait for you. Absolutely. And when we were speaking probably this time last year, you mentioned that you had won a contract to install solar with Binance Foundation. Yes. Did that project evolve as expected? And can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Uh, Binance uh, Charity Foundation partnered with an NGO called Save Future Uganda. And they had various interventions for primary and secondary schools. And we were working on them on the energy access. They identified 50 rural off-grid schools. Uh, and so we, the contract was installing lights in all the P7 classes in all those 50 schools. And if I'm not mistaken, Binance is a cryptocurrency yes, company Binance, and yes. so yeah. they work in the blockchain space. <laughs> yeah, Binance is a cryptocurrency company based in China. And yes, so as the ones who were making the donation, the, the payment was in cryptocurrency, which was very interesting for us. Actually, at first, we were very, very hesitant to take on the project and be paid in crypto. Right. Um, but once we got the hang of it, it was actually not bad. And what struck me about that project is that Binance, their reason actually for also insisting that the, that the clients be paid in crypto was to remove the middleman and also to minimize the chances of corruption, you know, because usually what usually happens, uh, Village Energy, you know, would win the contract with Safe Future and then Binance would give Safe Future the money and then Safe Future would pay the money. And of course, there are many instances, not in, even not just in energy, but, you know, other sectors where the money has not reached the service provider. So that was one of the reasons why they insisted on crypto. So then Village Energy had to open a crypto account and then the tokens would be directly deposited to the Village Energy account. 
and then sell the tokens for cash, presumably to, to finance yes. the systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was, how was that experience? Are you now a cryptocurrency convert? <laughs> are you interested in blockchain? I think it is, they are, they're definitely onto something. Because I think one of the things that always, when social entrepreneurs sit down, you know, everybody will always have a story of a job that I did in one year, two year down the line, I have never been paid, you know? Right. And then the good thing about it is the the way they structured the payments is for every eight school, we would do the work in batches of eight schools. As soon as we present evidence that the eight schools, you know, with the completion certificates and then there's a verification from Safe Future, then the payment would be done. So it was so easy to do business with them because after every eight schools, you're going to receive the money. And then, of course, you're also at liberty to either make the withdrawals or you wait for your money to, to grow. As I said, it was something very new in Uganda. So the rates would fluctuate, but most of the time the value would increase. So if you're also patient enough and you don't need the money, it was also a good way to get a little bit that extra money. I also liked the transparency aspect that the donors, because as I said, this was Binance, the, the foundation, and they had fundraised for this project. So the donors were able to keep track on what their money had been doing oh, and who, the, cool. who, who, who ended up receiving the money at the end of it all. So it was very interesting. The one thing that I remember, though, is that it is very labor intensive, for lack of a better word. Like there's so many transactions that you have to do. Right. I think it's still a very complicated process for the average user. It's still a very complicated process. But once you get the hang of it, it is very easy to navigate. I'd love to discuss more about your experiences in moving to Uganda, as you said, a few years ago and having spent most of your life in Kenya. There are neighboring countries in East Africa, but they're also quite different. Can you tell us about, to begin with, maybe your perspectives on the differences between Uganda and Kenya and what do you find most surprising about having moved to Uganda and what do you like most about it? Oh, wow. You want me to go there, Eugene? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think, and this is always, I think, and I, and I also made that assumption. I thought, you know, Uganda and Kenya, we're neighbors, right? Like it must be so easy to just, you know, move across the border. But one of the things that struck me is it's totally, it's absolutely totally different cultures. Kenyans... Uh, Ugandans know us as, you know, they say we are, we are aggressive, you know, we are rude. The Ugandan culture is very, very polite. They have a culture of not wanting to offend. And so those are some of the nuances that for me as a Kenyan, oftentimes, especially at the beginning, I would miss. And oftentimes I also find uh, a bit frustrating. So it, essentially it means that Ugandans, they will not tell you no to your face. So you have to really, really listen to what is not being said, to really hear what someone is saying. So, I'll, so that was that was one of the things that I'm somehow used to it now. Not quite, but it was very frustrating at the beginning because I used to be like, you should just have said no. It's okay to say no, but that's the culture here. 
Right. Um, so that that's one of the things that that I'm still learning, and I'm much better than I was for sure. And, and do you sometimes. think you've adopted some of the politeness now as well? Do you think you're no less- and that. <laughs> No, and actually, and that's not the good, that's now where my Kenyanness in this case becomes a good thing because then everybody will excuse me and like, it's okay. You know, she's Kenyan. So she's telling you something directly. Yeah, she's not being rude. She's just telling you directly because that's how Kenyans communicate. They're not like us. They're not polite like us. I have been to most of the countries across East Africa and I have to say Ugandans are definitely the kindest of the lot. They're very kind. People usually say, you know, Africans are very hospitable. Ugandans really embody that hospitality. If you're lost, for example, and you ask someone for directions, they will make sure, some, if possible, they will even, you know, go and guide you and take you to where you're going and then oh, go back right. on their way. Um, my favorite story, one, this one time, we, we had gone for a concert with my friend and um, the waiter in front of me, she picked some money on the ground. You know, it's, it's a crowded place. She picked some money on the ground and because the money, someone had dropped money in front of me. She gave it to me and I was like, what? She was like, oh, you've dropped this. So I was like, yeah, clearly I am no longer in Nairobi. I am now <laughs> in Uganda. So that's what those are one of some of the things that I, that I definitely like. I think also one of the things that I also like about Uganda is when we go and pitch our solution, there's this very good reception. So even as much as, you know, sometimes maybe some of the customers, maybe they cannot afford or maybe they don't really fully understand what we are saying, but they are very receptive to learn and to use and to adopt. In a number of villages, some of our customers, they sometimes will tell us, okay, I liked what you guys were saying, so I decided to start with a small system. But now that I can trust your solution, let me upgrade, you know, to something bigger so there's a willingness to explore and to try and do you see the differences between the solar industry in kenya versus uganda is there a difference in how the industry works i i'm not sure about the legislation in kenya but yeah here there's a lot of awareness about solar products and solar systems certainly much less than I had heard about when I was in Kenya. But then it could also be I was in a different sector. But here there's more awareness of it. The other difference is that, um, and I guess this is now because of the economies of the different countries, products in Kenya are slightly more expensive. And there's a willingness to pay that price. I, I believe that the Pago sector in Uganda is much bigger than the one in Kenya. So in Kenya, they are more willing or able to pay for the systems in cash or in a much uh, shorter time frame than here. As far as I know, I, th- I think almost close to 80, 90% of the solar companies in Uganda have paid. Yeah. And so that need for financing is, is a lot more important yeah. for the customers in Uganda. Yeah, is, yeah. We, we touched on this earlier, but you, I mean, you have a pretty extensive background in gender equality and development. And as you've already mentioned, a lot of intersection between the energy sector and development. But I was wondering if you have any other thoughts or observations on the interconnection between gender equality and energy, because certainly I think that the gender component is, is so important and significant for not just the, the impact on the customers you're, you're helping, but also their lives and what that really unlocks for them. 
Is there any other way that your background in gender and development have really framed the, the work that you've done with Village Energy or changed your thinking about how you would do things? As I usually say, because I, I worked in the gender sector for so long, I that's that's one of the things that I absolutely cannot be able to switch off, if that's the correct word to use. But I will always, always have a gender lens to the work that we are doing. I was reading something today, and of course, energy is is that ignored link to development and equality. And especially because, one, with the alternative fuels that we're using, whether it's charcoal, whether it's firewood, we know that most of the people who suffer the negative health outcomes is all, is going to be women and girls. The other thing is that when we look into the benefits, for example, like what I'm saying about all our clients making more money, that increased revenue in a household or in a community makes a lot of difference and a huge positive impact in the lives of the women and the girls in that household, in that community. It improves their health outcomes. It improves their education outcomes. Even access to information. When you have people who now can now be able to watch TV, they can now be able to have access to computers and the internet. All these things we know that they go a long way to improving gender equality and to just that one girl who now goes to school because, you know, her parents can afford that one mother who can now go and deliver in a clinic, you know, that one child who is able to get vaccinated. It has such big ripple effects in the community. I'm happy to still be, in many ways, still working on gender interventions, even if now I'm working from it from a different angle. At Village Energy, as I said, we are 20. Well, only five women, but all five of us are managers. So all the female staff in imagine that's Village quite Energy. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's something, you know. Once I recognize talent and skill, it's not an issue for me. When, and I know it is an issue for some people that the person is a woman. Uh, in fact, I'm like, yes, please come join me. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. One of the things that I have noticed is that in the the DC appliances, there's mm-hmm. very few that focus on women, for example. And do you mean within the context of productive energy use and providing appliances yeah. that can really help women and women's work and helping them earn money? Yes. So for example, like in Uganda, of course, majority of the women are, especially in the SMEs, the small and medium enterprises, most of them are in the service sector, food and hospitality, fashion and hair. And there's very few productive use appliances that are targeting those women. For You know, like uh, if someone has a hotel, can we get a DC blender, for example? If it is a salon, we don't have... Actually, for salons, it's interesting. The only one, at least what I have seen and have come across, the only one DC appliance that I've seen that is very common is the the clippers and the shavers. So very male, <laughs> you know. Right, that's yes. So there's not many hair dryers, you know, or blow dryers or, you know, even those things that dry people's nails. We don't have many DC appliances. That's a really interesting approach, actually. And 
it seems as though even within the solar sector, that there is still this continued focus on what do men want for their productive energy use and Oh yeah, and for sure. I guess it's a in the female context, people have to bring in things like inverters and then put in a system that can run on AC instead. Is that what you're currently seeing? Yeah, and that's really what we usually do, you know, because our system can power both DC and AC appliances, so we just get an inverter. But I guess it's not optimized for efficiency and probably no. adds to the cost of the system. Yeah, and especially, and the part of the reason why, like the salons, we have a lot, we usually get a fair amount of salons who are interested in the solar system. Because as I said, we are pitching two things, you know, we're pitching reliability of the system and of course also energy savings, right? And almost always the salon cannot afford our product because it's going to be too expensive when we size a system. If you want a hairdryer that's going to be on for, you know, like six to eight hours a day, it's, it's very expensive. So even if the salon owner, even if she's looking for ways to save money, then the system cannot do that for her. But if there was some DC appliances, then that would make it much cheaper and much, much more affordable. And then therefore she would be open for, you know, for longer hours. People would know that's the salon, whether or not there's a blackout. I know they will be able to work on my nails. They'll be able to work on my hair. And also again, like even when you go to the restaurants, you find the women, they're still using their hands to, you know, to blend juice, you know, and squeeze out the, the orange juice or the passion juice. And because the cost sometimes of continuously running a blender or a juicer is so expensive. It's more labor intensive to do it by hand, but it is cheaper. Whereas yeah. if they had other options, they would probably take it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting to think about. And I guess for Village Energy, then as a company, you've now installed over 200 systems across Uganda. What are your goals and what are your plans for the coming, say, three to five years? Our plan is to be the number one productive use company in this country. And the reason is because 200 plus systems later, we know that there's a market for our product. We have proved that. We have also proved that we can do the work and do the work very well. We still have some of the systems that we installed in 2014, 2015 that are still running. And it's only now, you know, four or five years later that they are coming in and they want to replace some of the components. So we know our choice to use tier one and tier two components is, is the winning formula. Now we have also learned how to properly customize our solution. The branches that we have, the hubs help us create and maintain that trust and that relationship. The customers can call on us when they want to. We still go and visit them, you know, every six months just to see how the system is working. And so what we are now working on is now acquiring more customers. And of course, even as we keep refining and tweaking the products and the services that we are offering. But in hopefully in about three years, Eugene, our plan is to have installed a thousand plus, about 1200 systems. And we know when we have installed 1200 systems that the additional amount of money that, that our clients are going to earn will be over $1 million. And that's really the number that excites me. That's fantastic. And that's a really exciting goal to have. So as we move our conversation to a close, we'd like to ask some quick questions to understand more about you and your background. So to begin with, what has surprised you most about working in the off-grid sector? 
as i mentioned earlier is how such a small if i can call it small like simple solution the capacity it has to change lives energy access is catalytic in so many ways and even up to today i still get surprised by how much the ripple effects the positive benefits that it brings to the community and the stories are sometimes heartbreaking and sometimes they're also amazing so i would i would recommend if you can work in the sector please do it will you'll be changing people's lives and and making such a profound difference in their lives absolutely and following on from that what advice would you give to someone looking to work in the off-grid sector well even as much as i have talked really highly about it please please manage your expectations that's the one thing that you have to do the co-founder jay tells me everything sticks much much longer than you think it will so patience a lot of patience you're going to need it and i'm curious you spoke earlier about the the challenges of becoming a ceo in the past few years if you could start the process all over again what would you do differently what would i do differently i would make some hard decisions earlier can you talk more about that or is it is confidential for the company not necessarily like confidential um for example if a branch is not performing and i have done and made investments like i have made to everybody else but it is still lagging like way behind i would have made the decisions to close those branches much much earlier than i did so there's very many hard decisions and these hard decisions sometimes even include like for example like we have a credit assessment process and there are times when we would look at the process and there's a customer who is borderline 50-50 he doesn't look like he's such a bad prospect on the other hand he doesn't look too good either and i think i erred on the side of optimism too often mm-hmm. and so then we ended up with a, with some bad debts so that's what i mean by i would make some hard decisions yeah faster and earlier right. instead of waiting and still having to make the hard decision anyway and what do you do when you're not working What do you do when I am not working? Well, that's the best part about Kampala. You know, Kampala is a, there's usually a lot happening. They have a very good concert scene, for example. So I've been to a few concerts. As I said, I used to live in Jinja, which is a tourist town. There's a lot to do in Jinja. I particularly like going kayaking. Wow. I also read a lot. So that also keeps me busy. Any books that you recommend or it can be off-grid related or non-off-grid, solar related? I think for me now because I was so so new in the sector so my off grid reading usually is around publications and articles and you know right. <laughs> uh not but not <laughs> no no not very fun but in case anybody really wants to understand I have found the the UNCDF reports are very informative and I'm probably also a bit biased because they're one of our funders but I find them very comprehensive. Also Open Capital and Power Africa to really understand what is happening in the solar sector in Uganda and across East Africa. They have very good resources and reports out. The one book that really helped me last year was is a book by Ben Horowitz, um The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Right. That's a good book. And I imagine greatest year 
transitioning into the CEO role and having to take the responsibilities for your decisions and things like that? I think was yeah. that the, I guess the, the angle and the lens you were you're reading it through? Yes, that's yeah, especially because it's it's uh, written for CEOs. So it's also good. Uh, to a book that also helped me understand and navigate the the startup sector is what is it called? Building a cash cow. It's by someone who built a startup in Kenya. And then, of course, I read this book in 2014, and it's the one that really made me have that final push to leave Nairobi. How will you measure your life? By Clay Christensen. Clay Christensen yeah. Yes. That's also a very, a very good book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And finally, what are you looking forward to in the next three to five years within the solar sector? We're really excited about uh, the lithium-ion technology. That's going to be a game changer for the solar industry. Uh, because currently... Reducing prices, I guess. Sorry, go on. Well, I think, yeah, eventually prices will go down, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but currently for a solar system, the most expensive component is always the batteries. And even when they're the most expensive component, they are also the first one that has to be replaced. And so with the lithium ion technology, you know, when you have batteries that are going to last five years, seven years, 10 years, that will make a big difference for the clients. So we're excited about that. And of course, and we know once we have new technologies, there's always, you know, these things, other exciting products and services that mushroom around it. And we can't wait to see what that will bring. Have you seen any indicators of what, what that might bring for Uganda so far? I would predict this will, 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 will really help is because we're also in a very price sensitive market. And so once we are able to sell a system that we, a customer can know, I will not be replacing any of these components, including the battery, for five years. So then typically the system will pay for itself within one year or two years, depending on the size and depending on the nature of the business. And then now we'll be able to build a very good business case for, for solar right. power. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Warringa. Thank you for your time and for joining us on Distributing Solar. It's been great to have you and we look forward to watching as, as Village Energy grows and meets their 1,200 customer target. Thank you very much, Eugene. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That was a conversation with Waringa Matindi from Village Energy. If you have any questions or comments, please visit us on our website at www.distributingsolar.com. We have notes from our podcast, useful sources and contact details available. Join us next time when we'll be speaking with Abhishek Jain from CEEW and we speak about productive energy use, the energy system in India and the importance of clean cooking. Thanks for joining us on Distributing Solar.